0: You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Young Mr. Tanner did a good job reading scripture. His parents gave him the hard passage, or maybe the pastor did. I don't know. Hey, it's so good to see you guys. Each and every week, we see new faces from before the quarantine, and it's so good to see you. We run about 60%, right about that, of what we did prior to the pandemic. And let me tell you, online is good, and we're grateful you're joining with us online, but you can't feel that choir special a moment ago online. And so when you're able to be here, please be here. When you show up, we're asking, just a reminder, everybody put the mask on. And as you have the mask, as you're moving about, you have the option as you be seated and socially distant to take it off as you're doing the present. Let's keep doing that because I don't want to spend my week with a health inspector, all right? Praise the Lord, amen. Thank you, Pastor, for that. Love you, Pastor. Okay, Book of Ruth, land there with me. If you didn't bring a copy of God's Word, page 263 in the black book in front of you. Go ahead and grab that if you would with me. This book is a wonderful book. It actually has a Cinderella-esque quality to it, only it's so much better. And I'm going to show you in the moment why it's good. Now, why do we look at the book of Ruth? Why do we look at Ruth in the year of 2020? Here's why. Ruth can help you get your hope back. Ruth can help you get your hope back. Now, we're living in Fort Worth, Texas, where the West began, cowboy country, I probably couldn't lasso the pew in front of me, but it's, if a lasso, if a rope were a visual, visible thing as opposed to hope, which is an invisible thing. Imagine if hope were a rope, goes from invisible to visible. Where is your hope attached to today? Where are you putting your hope? If 2020 is a downer year, why is that? And I agree it is. Is your hope in politics? Is your hope in good grades and a potential scholarship? Is you, are you putting your hope in a mate or a future mate or a child? Are you putting your hope even in something as important as other people? You see, when you put your hope in any of those places... Damage can be done to your hope. It's only when you put your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ that no damage can come to your hope. Where are you attaching your hope right now? Could it be that part of your disappointment has to do with you've attached your hope to the wrong thing? Functionally, you're walking around depressed because something has damaged your hope. The second reason we look at the book of Ruth, not only to get your hope back, Ruth is written, it's a small book like a small novel, to help you put your trust in Almighty God. Ruth is written to help you put your trust in God. Many people just have a trust problem. They struggle trusting God. He's invisible. Where can I find him? Where can I see him? But listen carefully. The answers to society's problems. Do you think the answer to society's problems is a philosophy? Do you think the answers are going to come from medicine or science? you think the answers are going to come from Austin or Washington? The answers to our problems are found in the Word of God. And Ruth is written so that you and I would renew and put our trust in a fresh new way in Almighty God. If you missed the first several weeks in the book of Ruth, what you need to be aware of is the beginning of the story starts with a woman, Naomi. Naomi is married. Naomi leaves Bethlehem, yes, that Bethlehem, the Bethlehem of Jesus. She leaves there with her husband Elimelech. They're gone for 10 years because of a famine there in Bethlehem. And while they're gone, Elimelech dies. They bring along with them two sons, the two boys, marry women of different faith, and even the sons will die. So while she's gone, picture this, there's three funerals and two weddings. She comes back and she has this really important conversation emotional conversation with a woman named ruth her former daughter-in-law and it's there that ruth says i'm sticking with you in a powerful way you'll find it right about verse 16 of chapter one for later on now all the rest of the book is ruth and naomi and their story climbing back they're making the sort of rags to riches climb back and essentially what happens is when ruth gets back in bethlehem She goes to what we'd call panhandling, only gleaning. She goes, just happens to be in the field of Boaz, a nearby kinsman, a nearby family member to her distant husband, who evidently was somewhat good-looking and single. That's important. And she goes working right there. Now, the only problem is for Naomi and Ruth, these disadvantaged widows, socially at the bottom of the ladder of ancient Israel, is that Boaz does not... does not propose to Ruth. So what's a girl supposed to do when the boy doesn't just, he's a little slow at this, right? What happens here? Now, at this point, all the women in the room, do you know how feminist the book of Ruth is? This is a a radically feminist book in patriarchal Old Testament. Why do I say that? Well, one, Naomi concocts this matchmaking romantic kind of plan. That don't, you don't, you, the girl doesn't go ask the boy to marry. The boy is supposed to ask the girl. But the boy ain't asking. So what's the girl supposed to do? So Naomi says, this is what I want you to do. So she goes in there at the threshing floor. Everybody knows in Bethlehem what would happen to harvest, big party. All the men are sleeping in the threshing floor overnight. They've ate well, they drank well. So Naomi says to Ruth, this is what I want you to do in the middle of the night when he's asleep. I want you to go up to him. He's going to have a blanket over his feet. Uncover his feet. Don't uncover my feet at night by the way. If you're ever in the room with me and you uncover my feet, I'm not going to deal with you with kindness. She uncovers his feet and he, in chapter 3, right around verse 9 says to this unknown girl, who are you? It's at that moment that Right there in chapter 3, we read these words in verse 9. I am Ruth, your servant, she says. Spread your wings. Spread your wings over your servant. It's a marriage proposal. That's what that is. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, Boaz replies with these important words. He says, in essence, stay right there. He's a very honorable man. Beginning in verse 11, he says, and now, my daughter, do not fear, I will do for you all you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy man and now a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. And then he goes on to explain, but you need to be aware that there's a redeemer closer to you than me. Now what's going on here? To understand the story, it acts like a submarine. It needs to surface. You need to see this. The kinsman redeemer would be sort of the watchman of the family. One, to keep the family's land within that clan, within that larger family. Remember, if you're farming, if you're a farmer, you need land. Wouldn't you agree? No land, no farming. So he is to work in such a way to ensure the land stays within the family. And then he is to work in such a way to ensure the widow, the most disenfranchised, socially, economically vulnerable, if he doesn't work on her behalf, bad things might happen this is all about income equality It's put in leviticus chapter 25 who knows to read leviticus it's in there god works for income equality think of jeff bezos and amazon where everyone has enough to eat everyone has enough income to take care of themselves so behind this god is destined this peace he's wanting ruth to reach out to boaz and boaz to marry this widow so that the land and the family have future income. Good things are happening here. So this is what happens. Ruth does that. She goes to Boaz. She says, spread your wings over me. Boaz says, there's a nearer family member to you than me. So Ruth runs home to Naomi. Remember, Naomi concocted this thing. She's matchmaker.com at this moment. Upon hearing... All that happened, Naomi says this at the end of chapter three. She says, Boaz will take care of this immediately. You know what I love? Boaz is a good man throughout this. Think about this. The moment she uncovers his feet, you know what he does? He's too honorable to sleep with her. Most American males, I mean, it'd be on right there. You'd have some Barry White going and things would happen. But not Boaz, he's a good man. So much so that his future mother-in-law can say, He's gonna take care of this immediately, and he does. What we find is chapter four opens up, he gets to the town gate. Now, why would you go to the town gate? Well, here, anybody grow up in a small town? I did. Where do you find people in a small town? You go to Walmart. You stand at Walmart as a greeter, and eventually within the day, they will show up. He goes to the ancient equivalent of Walmart, the town gate, and this unnamed family member, the closer family member than him, shows up, at the town gate. But watch this secondly. In chapter four, the town gate operates like a courthouse. In fact, we identify there in chapter four, just happen all the elders just show up, all the city fathers, the city council. So here's what happens. I love what Boaz does. He is good in every way. He is wise. He gets it, this good and godly man. He says, when this unnamed family member, the one closer than he, he says, hey, come sit down for just a minute. I've a, got a deal I want to offer you. He says, uh, Naomi, you remember Naomi came back from outside of town. She's got a field that you are eligible to buy. I would like to buy it, but you get first dibs. Would you like to buy this field? And he's baiting the hook. Any, anytime you bait the hook, right, fisherman, you conceal that there's a hook there. Now this guy, he's unnamed. He could be Tom, Dick, or Harry in Hebrew for all we know. He says to himself, absolutely I'll take that. Sweetheart of a deal, bargain basement, widow selling out of Great Depression and the community thinks I'm great at the same time because I'm buying the land and taking care of her? Sign me up for that. Where do I put my name on the contract? And that's when Boaz, so, so good at this. He says, by the way, when you get the land, you take the girl, and the girl is from Moab. Now what you need to know about, five times in four chapters, every time, almost every time Ruth's name is mentioned, she's Ruth from Moab. Why does it do that? Because the Bible knows that Moab has been condemned. It is cursed by God. So Mr. Unnamed family member, when you take this land, you take this girl's hand, and when you take this girl's hand, your family name will be contaminated with the cursed family of someone who's an outsider, but someone who is cursed. Do you still want the land? That's what this guy says, no, thank you. I think I'm just fine as it is. By the way, you check it out for yourself. Don't trust the pastor. You always check it out in the Bible for yourself. This guy is never mentioned. His name, I've been telling you that. He's named Friend, he's given another name, uh, just sort of a generic name. It's interesting, isn't it? Everybody else in the story is named except for him. He's the only guy that works to preserve his name. Now watch it carefully. When Boaz loads the hook, Boaz says, do you want to take this Moabite and make her your wife? Do you want to take this cursed country, this ugly spiritual country, take this girl and put her into your family genealogy? You know, that doesn't mean much to us today, but for that day and time, a family name meant a lot. This guy is the only guy in the book of Ruth who seeks to preserve his good name. You know, he's the only one we don't know his name. We know Ruth, we know Boaz. Boaz will contaminate his name. He will sacrifice his name, and yet God preserves him. 3,000 years later, can you imagine walking in that town gate and saying, hold it, guys, stop right here. Boaz, do you think that in a country yet to be discovered, the United States of America and the country of Texas, they're going to be studying your name? He'd say, you know, get out of here. I'll give you one of those. Isn't it interesting the one who failed to preserve his name his name is preserved and the one who seeks to preserve his name his name is unknown it reminded me of what i was reading in my devotionals in proverbs chapter 11 these words should appear on the screen one who gives freely yet yet grows richer another withholds what he should give and only suffers want whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters himself will be watered friend the truth is you cannot outgive god and when you're obedient to god He takes care of you. Jesus said the first shall be last and the last shall be first. If you wanna be seen as great, become a servant. It's the way of the kingdom. I love the fact that nobody knows this unnamed family member. His name is lost to history, but Boaz's name is known to us today. It's a powerful thing. Well, soon as the guy says no thank you, Boaz becomes the owner of the land and he takes Ruth's hand. How do we know that? Because they did this thing in chapter four, you'll find about it, where they sort of removed one sandal and gave it to the other. That's how you know that you had a deal, right? So women, wives, if your husband came home with a right size 10 on the left foot and a size four on the right foot, you know he bought something that day. You might look at him and say, what old clunker of a car did you buy today? He wins the hand of Ruth. Now, everyone's happy and everyone goes home just blessed, right? What do we learn from this story? Why did the Bible include it? Two big takeaways. The first of which is a, is a really unknown Hebrew word I've shared with you in the past is God's kesed. It's his kesed. That word appears in the original Hebrew throughout these four chapters over and over again. It appears in your Old Testament more times than you can count, and it's such a rich word. It's a word that I would wish that the average NRHBC and cross-church attender would would say, oh, I've seen that word. I've heard him talk about that word. In the Psalms, it will be translated, the steadfast love of the Lord. You know what that means? God says, my love will stick with you when you turn your back on me. I'm going to chase you down. But the word can also mean a rich kindness. You do realize when Ruth happened, right? It happened in the days of the book of Judges. Now, I know that you hear that and you think, okay, what's the big deal? Here's how Judges ends, and I apologize. I try to be verbally modest when I'm in the pulpit. Judges ends because this concubine, this prostitute, if you will, she's cut up into 12 different parts, and her parts are sent to the 12 tribes of Israel with the call for war. That's how the book ends. Bloody. It's God awful. That's what happens when everybody does what is right in their own eyes. This little story about Ruth and Naomi. Now, what would you think would happen to two disenfranchised, economically vulnerable, socially outcast women during that? Well, they'd be they'd be chewed up and spit out. But God has this kessid. And you see it you see it among the humans. R- Ruth does it. She has incredible kindness to Naomi. Naomi says at the border, you need to go on back to your people. Look at the Kessid of Ruth. Ruth said, uh-uh, no way. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you will be buried, I will be buried. Boaz has this kessid. He works with chivalry like a man should, even in 2020. When he really doesn't even know who Ruth is. He says to Ruth, I don't want you gleaning on the outside of these fields, on the ed- edges of my property. God only knows what might happen. to You might be assaulted. Stay right here in the middle of my field behind my workers. I've told them, they will not touch you. There's Chesed. But when I think about Chesed, I think about what God does for us. He watches over the Ruths and Naomi's. He watches over us. Reminds me of a story that I shared with you several years ago, 10-year-old boy named Miles Eckert. Miles was walking into a restaurant one morning, and he found $20 in the parking lot. Now, what would a 10-year-old think about? 10-year-old boy think about with $20? He's thinking about the video game that he's about to buy. But when he walks in there, he sees this soldier, this lieutenant colonel in the restaurant. And so that's when Miles takes the $20, and he hands it over with this note that you're seeing right here to the lieutenant colonel. He writes, quote, dear soldier, my dad was a soldier. He's in heaven now. I found this $20 in the parking lot when we got here. We, we like to pay it forward in my family. It's your lucky day. Thank you for your service, Miles Eckert, gold star kid. Seemed five weeks before that, Miles's father's life was taken in Iraq. That lieutenant colonel took that $20, and by the time he was done, turned it into $2 million in paying it and giving it forward. We need a revival of kindness in America right now. We need a revival of kindness, the kind of thing where you are considerate and loving of others. Where do I get that from? I get it from a God who showed me kesed in kindness when he died on the cross for me. I did not deserve his death. I do not deserve the mercy of God and the love of God. And yet, even while I was a sinner, Christ died for me, the book of Romans teaches me. I hope you experience the great kindness of God. Here's the second thing that we learn from the book of Ruth. We learn not only God's chesed, it is kindness, we learn the invisible hand. See, this is, again, sort of a rags-to-riches story. I don't know how much riches there are, but you get the point. A Cinderella story that's even better than that. Naomi and Ruth, these vulnerable women, at a time when women were not cared for, are moving their way back from catastrophe upon catastrophe. But we find out that there's a hand that's guiding them, that's pushing them, putting them in light and putting them in safety. In fact, when you read the book of Ruth, all four chapters, about 100 verses, I dare you to find a miracle. I can't find one miracle. I can't find where a dead person comes back to life. I can't find where a a deaf person hears or a blind person sees. I don't see any of the miracles that I see when I read the gospels with Jesus, but I do find a lot of just happens. You ever seen a just happen? What some people call an accident? It just happened that Ruth and Naomi came from Bethlehem. Actually, where Naomi came from Bethlehem, where Jesus would come more than a thousand years afterwards. It just happened that Naomi and Ruth came back to Bethlehem, just happened to be at the harvest. Ruth just happened upon Boaz's field. There wasn't a marker out front. Just happened that Boaz was kind to her and protected her. Just happened that Boaz showed up in the field that day to meet Ruth, whom he had never met before. And it just happened that Boaz met the next kin at the city gate, a lot of just happens. You know what many people call an accident, the Bible calls providence, the invisible hand of God. There are no accidents with God. Everything has a purpose, every purpose has a reason. God does not throw away even, seems like insignificant pieces. Again, this is a beautiful story, but it's better than a beautiful story. It's a story that moves the pages of history, and it's a story that's really on the road to Calvary and the cross because the story of Ruth includes you, and I want to show you. You might consider it the most boring part of the book of Ruth, but beginning in verse 18, here are the words that was read to us by Mr. Tanner a few minutes ago. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Abinadab, and Abedadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz. And Boaz fathered Obed, and Boad, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. You see, this is more than a beautiful story about two people 3,000 years ago getting together, or about two widows economically salvaged from the wasteland of a society that did not have welfare, This is the story about Calvary. Those 10 generations I just read to you covers about 640 years. It goes all the way back into the book of Genesis. It goes back hundreds of years. And when Ruth and Boaz get together, the little boy on Ruth's lap is the grandfather to none other than King David. Well, that's great, Pastor. I'm sure if I were Jewish, that would mean a lot to me. I'd really like to know the grandparents of George Washington. Thanks for sharing that. This isn't about politics. David's a great king, but David's a great king because a great promise was made to a great king. Do you remember what promise was made to David? You'll find it over in 2 Samuel chapter 7 for some other time. This is what God promised to King David. He said, David, you've caught my eye here's my promise to you. I'm going to keep one of your boys, one of your lineage, one of your genealogy. They're always going to be on the throne. Now, when everybody heard that the first time, everybody said, oh, Israel's going to be around forever. David's always going to have a king, sort of like the British monarchy. You know, they always going to have the tracing back of the royal line. Uh -uh. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Several hundred years after David came and he went, Israel was no more. And then... In the very town where Ruth and Obed get together, another woman was brought. God just accidentally brought a Roman emperor, someone named Caesar Augustus. He said, "I want you to want everybody to take a census, and I want you to return back to your hometown." And it was there that an angel said to another woman, Mary, "You shall call his name Jesus." Because he will save his people from their sins. The beauty of the invisible hand of God is that he is guiding Calvary. He is moving in the darkest of days. I know this is a difficult time. I know that there may not be any prospects of a bright and glorious future for you. You may be stuck in a marriage. You may be stuck economically. You may be stuck medically. The doctors may give you no hope, but I can tell you this, all the way from the book of Genesis, all the way to Calvary and to the second coming, God has a purpose. His promises are rock solid. He doesn't even bother to put them in granite because that's too weak and he will keep his promise. He will put his son on the cross for you. He will be crucified and three days later he will rise again. And that is the very promise of God. You can put your hope in a place that's not politically, not academically, not financially, those places it can be impacted. But if you put your hope in Jesus Christ, nothing, nothing can touch of the hope that's attached in Jesus. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.